Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books' brand values. Today we'll be continuing The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. Chapter 19. The Viscount and the Persian Raoul now remembered that his brother had once shown him that mysterious person, of whom nothing was known except that he was a Persian, and that he lived in a little old-fashioned flat in the Rue des Rivoli. The man with the ebony skin, the eyes of jade, and the astrakhan cap bent over Raoul. I hope, Monsieur de Chagny, he said, that you have not betrayed Eric's secret. And why should I hesitate to betray that monster, sir? Raoul rejoined haughtily, trying to shake off the intruder. Is he your friend by any chance? I hope that you said nothing about Eric, sir, because Eric's secret is also Christine Daae's, and to talk about one is to talk about the other. Oh, sir, said Raoul, becoming more and more impatient. You seem to know about many things that interest me, and yet I have no time to listen to you. Once more, Monsieur de Chagny, where are you going so fast? Cannot you guess? To Christine Daae's assistance. Then, sir, stay here, for Christine Daae is here. With Eric? With Eric. How do you know? I was at the performance, and no one in the world but Eric could contrive an abduction like that. Oh, he said with a deep sigh. I recognize the monster's touch. You know him, then? The Persian did not reply, but heaved a fresh sigh. Sir, said Raoul, I do not know what your intentions are, but can you do anything to help me? I mean, to help Christine Daae. I think so, Monsieur de Chagny, and that is why I spoke to you. What can you do? Try to take you to her, and to him. If you can do me that service, sir, my life is yours. One word more. The commissary of police tells me that Christine Daae has been carried off by my brother, Count Philippe. Oh, Monsieur de Chagny, I don't believe a word of it. It's not possible, is it? I don't know if it is possible or not, but there are ways and ways of carrying people off. And Monsieur le Count Philippe has never, as far as I know, had anything to do with witchcraft. Your arguments are convincing, sir. And I am a fool. Oh, let us make haste. I place myself entirely in your hands. How should I not believe you when you are the only one to believe me, when you are the only one not to smile when Eric's name is mentioned? 
and the young man impetuously seized the Persian's hands. They were ice cold. Silence, said the Persian, stopping and listening to the distant sounds of the theater. We must not mention that name here. Let us say he and him. Then there will be less danger of attracting his attention. Do you think he's near us? It is quite possible. Sir, if he's not at this moment with his victim in the house on the lake. Ah, uh, so you know that house too. If he's not there, he may be here in this wall, in this floor, in this ceiling. Come. And the Persian, asking Raoul to deaden the sound of his footsteps, led him down passages which Raoul had never seen before. Even at the time when Christine used to take him for walks through that labyrinth. If only Darius had come, said Persian. Who's Darius? Darius? My servant. They were now in the center of a real deserted square, an immense apartment ill-lit by a small lamp. The Persian stopped Raoul, and in the softest of whispers asked, What did you say to the commissary? I said that Christine Daae's abductor was the angel of music, alias the opera ghost, and that the real name was... Hush! And did he believe you? No. He attached no importance to what you said. No. He took you for a bit of a madman? Yes. So much the better, sighed the Persian. And they continued their road. After going up and down several staircases, which Raoul had never seen before, the two men found themselves in front of a door which the Persian opened with a master key. The Persian and Raoul were both, of course, in dress clothes. But whereas Raoul had a tall hat... The Persian wore the astrakhan cap, which I have already mentioned. It was an infringement of the rule which insists upon the tall hat behind the scenes. But in France, foreigners are allowed every license. The Englishman his traveling cap. The Persian his cap of astrakhan. Sir, said the Persian, your tall hat will be in your way. You would do well to leave it in the dressing room. What dressing room? asked Raoul. Christine Daae's. And the Persian, letting Raoul through the door which he had just opened, showed him the actress's room opposite. They were at the end of the passage, the whole length of which Raoul had been accustomed to traverse before knocking at Christine's door. How well you know the opera, sir. Not so well as he does, said the Persian modestly. And he pushed the young man into Christine's dressing room, which was as Raoul had left it a few minutes earlier. Closing the door, the Persian went to a very thin partition that separated the dressing room from a big lumber room next to it. He listened and then coughed loudly. There was a sound of someone stirring in the lumber room. And a few seconds later, a finger tapped at the door. Come in, said the Persian. A man entered, also wearing an astrakhan cap and dressed in a long overcoat. He bowed and took a richly carved case from under his coat, put it on the dressing table, bowed once again and went to the door. Did no one see you come in, Darius? No, master. Let no one see you go out. The servant glanced down the passage and swiftly disappeared. The Persian opened the case. It contained a pair of long pistols. When Christine Daae was carried off, sir, I sent word to my servant to bring me these pistols. I've had them a long time, and they can be relied upon. Do you mean to fight a duel? asked the young man. It will certainly be a duel which we shall have to fight, said the other, examining the priming of his pistols. And what a duel! Handing one of the pistols to Raoul, he added, In this duel, we shall be two to one. 
but you must be prepared for everything, for we shall be fighting the most terrible adversary that you can imagine. But you love Christine Daye, do you not? I worship the ground she stands on. But you, sir, who do not love her, tell me why I find you ready to risk your life for her. You must certainly hate Eric. No, sir, said the Persian sadly. I do not hate him. If I hated him, he would long ago have ceased doing harm. Has he done you harm? I've forgiven him the harm which he's done me. I do not understand you. You treat him as a monster. You speak of his crime, he's done you harm, and I find you in the same inexplicable pity that drove me to despair when I saw it in Christine. The Persian did not reply. He fetched a stool and set it against the wall facing the great mirror that filled the whole of the wall space opposite. Then he climbed on the stool, and with his nose to the wallpaper, seemed to be looking for something. Ah, he said after a long search, I have it. And raising his finger above his head, he pressed against a corner in the pattern of the paper. Then he turned round and jumped off the stool. In half a minute, he said, he shall be on his road. And crossing the whole of the dressing room, he felt the great mirror. No, it is not yielding yet, he muttered. Oh, are we going out by the mirror? asked Raoul. Like Christine Daye? So you knew that Christine Daye went out by that mirror? She did so before my eyes, sir. I was hidden behind the curtain of the inner room, and I saw her vanish, not by the glass, but in the glass. And what did you do? I thought it was an aberration of my senses, a mad dream. Or some new fancy of the ghosts, chuckled the Persian. Ah, Monsieur de Chagny, he continued, still with his hands on the mirror. Would that we had to do with a ghost. We could then leave our pistols in their case. Put down your hat, please. There. And now cover your shirt front as much as you can with your coat, as I'm doing. Bring the lapels forward. Turn up the collar. We must make ourselves as invisible as possible. Bearing against the mirror, after a short silence, he said, It takes some time to release the counterbalance when you press on the spring from the inside of the room. It is different when you are behind the wall and can act directly on the counterbalance. Then the mirror turns at once and is moved with incredible rapidity. What counterbalance? asked Raoul. Why, the counterbalance that lifts the whole of this wall onto its pivot. You surely don't expect it to move of itself by enchantment. If you watch, you will see the mirror first rise an inch or two, and then shift an inch or two from left to right. It will then be on a pivot and will swing round. It's not turning, said Raoul impatiently. Oh, wait, we have time enough to be impatient, sir. The mechanism has obviously become rusty, or else the spring isn't working. Unless it is something else, added the Persian anxiously. What? He may simply have cut the cord of the counterbalance and blocked the whole apparatus. Why should he? He does not know that we are coming this way. I dare say he suspects it, for he knows that I understand the system. It's not turning. And Christine, sir, Christine, the Persian said coldly. We shall do all that is humanly possible to do, but he may stop us at the first step. He commands the walls, the doors, and the trapdoors. In my country, he was known by a name which means the trapdoor lover. But why do these walls obey him alone? He did not build them. Yes, sir, that is just what he did. Raoul looked at him in amazement. But the Persian made a sign to him to be silent and pointed to the glass. There was a sort of shivering reflection. 
their image was troubled as in a rippling sheet of water, and then all became stationary again. You see, sir, that it is not turning. Let us take another road. Tonight there is no other, declared the Persian in a singularly mournful voice. And now, look out and be ready to fire. He himself raised his pistol opposite the glass. Raoul imitated his movement. With his free arm, the Persian drew the young man to his chest, and suddenly the mirror turned. In the blinding days of crosslights, it turned like one of those revolving doors which have lately been fixed to the entrances of most restaurants. It turned, carrying Raoul and the Persian with it, and suddenly hurling them from the full light into the deepest darkness. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Brie Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next bite of The Phantom of the Opera. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.